Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops. And also brought to you by Networks Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud, or MDM to remove local admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And of course, also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. BleepyComputer.com reported this week that Microsoft is investigating a known issue leading to blue screen of death crashes with a 000021A error after installing the Windows 10 KB5021233 cumulative update that was released during the December patch Tuesday. And this known issue is likely caused by a mismatch between the file versions of hidparse.sys in System32 and System32 slash drivers in the Windows folder, which might cause signature validation to fail when cleanup occurs. The report suggests platforms affected by this includes Windows 10 versions 20H2 all the way to the latest release of Windows 10 22H2. There is a workaround in the report that involves copying a .sys file from one directory to another and completing some steps, which kind of makes sense, uh, you know, remove the mismatch there. And I'll share those steps with this episode, which is episode 261, and you can find that at 5bytespodcast.com. So usually, and I mention it pretty much every month, but usually I'll cover the Patch Tuesday news roundup as those patches are released in a given week and then usually the following week there's a whole lot of news about fallout and breakages caused by these patches and certainly this is one such issue uh, but usually there's more reports and I did see within the patching mailing group the google mail group that I've shared on multiple episodes of the podcast that some are also reporting other issues including Um, some latency in Azure Virtual Desktop with the recent remote desktop client update, and also RDP sessions freezing on Windows 11 22H2. Now, I will say that take this with a pinch of salt because I tend to uh, rely on publications and sources and, you know, multiple reports of these issues occurring, whereas it seems like uh, reports of issues are a little bit slower this month, which is probably due to the holiday. So it might be possible that uh, more widespread reports of issues relating to the December patches uh, won't get reported until after the holidays. Um, But for sure, I mean, keep listening to the podcast. And as these issues become confirmed, I'll share them on the future episodes. Speaking of things broken by patches, as previously reported on the podcast, there were reports of problems creating virtual machines in Hyper-V in certain scenarios. Well, Microsoft has now released a pair of -of out-of-band patches to address the virtual machine problems. 
These are KB5022553 and KB5022554, and they've been issued as emergency fixes for affected systems. So as usual, without a bad patches, these aren't going to be available uh, directly through Windows updates. You're going to have to go to the catalog to grab these. So if you're affected, certainly look at these uh, fixes in these KBs. Microsoft have shared that on January 1st of next year, which is in just a couple of weeks, they will begin a phased rollout of an EU data boundary solution for public sector and commercial customers in the European Union and the European Free Trade Association. Microsoft will offer customers the ability to store and process their customer data within the EU data boundary for Microsoft 365, Azure, Power Platform, and Dynamics 365 services. This will greatly reduce data flows out of Europe and building on their, what they call, industry-leading data residency solutions. And they say that in coming phases of the data boundary, they will expand the EU data boundary solution to include the storage and processing of additional categories of personal data, including data provided when receiving technical support. Microsoft will publish more details in documentation and these will initially be published in English, but will also then be made available in additional languages in future. So obviously, you know, it's qualified that it's going to reduce data flows out of Europe, but not completely eliminate data flowing out of Europe, which is obvious because not all services are currently included in this, but hopefully more and more services will be added and then everything will be within that EU data boundary for those EU customers. Microsoft have released FSLogic's version 2210, which is also 2.9.8361.52326 for those hardcores who know those longer versions. Uh, and this release includes some new features, including the added ability to compact the user's container during the sign-out phase, which is using the VHD disk compaction, which I think was the brainchild of Jim Moyle originally. I might be wrong on that. It might not be the same uh, shrink that he created, but I think it is. Um, also added is a new process during the sign-out phase, which creates an AppX package manifest for the user. And this manifest is used at sign-in to re-register the AppX applications for an improved user experience. And this work, they say, is ongoing as AppX packages and applications continue to evolve. And the focus for this work has been on the built-in Windows apps or inbox apps. And that's interesting because I've noticed on my Windows 365 Cloud PCs that often after I initially boot up a custom image, it seems to run through and re-register some AppX packages. So interesting to see that's being accounted for within the FSLogix profile container. Uh, another new feature is that uh, they will now roam the user's recycle bin within the user container as well. And there's also several fixes, including they've resolved junction point compatibility issues with AppV and several more. Uh, for a full list of those fixes, I'll share the release notes for this version with this episode, which is, again is episode 261, and you'll find that at 5bytespodcast.com. Microsoft recently published what's new in Intune for the 2212 or December edition. This includes deployment flexibility through feature and expedited updates. 
They say they're giving more control over what updates are deployed to devices and when they are delivered through general availability of Windows feature and expedited quality updates. They say that through feature updates, your devices will remain on the version they've been assigned until you either update the policy or assign those devices to a new feature update policy targeting a newer update. So greater granularity and control over how updates are rolled out to your devices. Also added is something I've already reported on a previous episode of the podcast, which is Microsoft Store apps are now available in Intune which I've actually got a blog post that I drafted about two weeks ago that I hope to get out soon. And I'll uh, mention that on a few trips of the podcast. And I just, I've tried it out and I'll give my thoughts. Also new this month is an update to the MSAX packaging tool from Microsoft. And this includes a pretty important update for at least some of the package support framework application fixes because they've now been automated. And this supports automatic inclusion of some fix-ups such as file redirection fix-up, dynamic library fix-up, nvar fix-up, and electron fix-up. There are also some new capabilities in the capabilities menu, which yeah, I'm sure that appeals maybe to developers uh, who will make this available to users who will actually see what they're installing and see what capabilities it requires. Frankly, what I'm seeing from vendors, it says all resources, no matter what the application. So it seems like the capabilities have not been used properly so far, at least in my experience. Microsoft also announced an upcoming feature in the Insider Preview, which allows you to right-click on files within the package editor and open that file to edit. And I think they give a JSON file as an example. So, you know, just right-click within the packaging tool and it'll open that JSON file to edit. So pretty cool. Obviously, the biggest announcement here is those automated fix-ups. So it'll be interesting to try that out. Although, obviously, Tim Mangan has been caring for the patch support framework pretty much as a one-man band for the last couple of years. And he's been doing a great job with automating a lot of these fix-ups himself. So check out TM Urgent and Tim Mangan's awesome MSIX tools. Microsoft have announced that Windows 365 now supports creating Azure Active Directory joined cloud PCs that use single sign-on for cloud PC login. They say that existing cloud PCs won't have single sign-on configured, but if you're creating a new provisioning policy, you are editing an existing uh, provisioning policy as I saw, uh, you'll be able to check a box to enable that single sign-on preview feature. And I tried it out and it seems to work great. Also relevant to Windows 365 this week, I saw that Scott Manchester shared that there's some new enterprise network documentation for cloud PCs that goes pretty in depth around networking for your cloud PCs and um, configurations for those VNets and giving line of sight back to your own organization's data center and so on. Microsoft recently announced that a future Microsoft Edge update will permanently disable the Internet Explorer 11 desktop web browser on some Windows 10 systems starting in February. They say that all remaining devices that have not already been redirected from IE 11 to Edge are scheduled to be redirected with the Edge update that's scheduled for February 14th, 2023. Enterprise admins are advised to transition from IE 11 to Edge with IE mode and remove IE visual references from the start menu and the Windows taskbar with the disable IE policy before February 14th to avoid business disruption at scale when users lose access to IE 11 dependent applications. 
So once again, being warned about IE11 going away. If you haven't taken action yet, you better hurry up. You don't have much time. WindowsCentral.com had an article this week about some new updates for Microsoft Edge, at least in the developer channel uh, that have happened recently. And that includes some enhancements to the sidebar within that Dev Insider channel. So if you haven't noticed within Edge, there's now a sidebar and it includes icons to like Outlook, Office 365, and there's like a little search icon as well. Uh, well, in this preview, the sidebar pane can now be resized. The sidebar now has a mute and unmute menu. Uh, the sidebar apps now support push notifications and you can now access sidebar search in PWAs, which is those progressive web applications. BleepyComputer.com reports that Microsoft have said that Windows 10 updates that were released in late September are causing Windows taskbar flicker issues and application instability. They say that after installing the updates that were released on September 20th or later, taskbar elements might flicker and cause system instability. Restarting the affected devices can alleviate the instability problems in some cases, but possibly only on some impacted systems. And the affected Windows versions include Windows 10 22H2, Windows 10 21H2, Windows 10 21H1, and Windows 10 20H2. So several iterations back. Microsoft have addressed this issue via a known issue rollback, which is a Windows capability that reverts faulty Windows non-security fixes pushed via Windows updates. And after rolling out, the KIR-issued fixes usually reach all consumer non-managed business devices within 24 hours, with affected users having the option to speed up the process by restarting their computers. For IT administrators, they must install and configure KIR group policy to resolve these system instability problems on affected enterprise managed devices. So I think it's a relatively new concept, this known issue rollback. I mean, might be wrong on that though. Um, but yeah, you might want to roll this out if you're noting instability issues. BenefitNews.com had an interesting article this week covering Microsoft's efforts that began in 2017 to make their hiring practices more aware and inclusive of neurodivergent talent, including those with autism, ADHD, dyspraxia, dyslexia, or Tourette syndrome. The article covers how to adapt interview processes to accommodate more candidates, which seems important for all companies, as in the US alone, the unemployment rate for neurodivergent adults is eight times the average rate in the US, sitting at 30% to 40% for the neurodivergent population. It's a really interesting article, and if you're in a hiring role, I suggest you check it out, and maybe you can glean some tips on how to improve your hiring process to be more inclusive. My buddy Tom Fenton at ControlUp wrote an article covering the all-new ControlUp Enhanced Devices Dashboard, which details some of the nice features for the Devices Dashboard in Edge DX, with some really nice-looking graphics enhancements, enhanced filter capabilities, and extremely useful grouping and tagging capabilities for devices to allow you to group these logically for your organization based off of commonality, such as maybe you know IP address range, location, or so forth. So. If you're checking out EdgeDX or you're already using EdgeDX, definitely check out this article by Tom. 
A product that I really enjoy called Migration Studio has received a major facelift and a pivot with a brand new product called Management Studio, which switches the focus of Migration Studio, which was a big migration project focused tool toward a product that is more day-to-day -day enterprise IT management related and just allows you to handle the life cycle and ever more frequent changes in organizations at, with ease. The product has integration with Active Directory, Configuration Manager, Lakeside, SysTrack, and more. And the cool thing is, it is out of the box ready to be used for common workflows for application intake, application packaging, application testing, and application deployments, as well as just the overall application lifecycle within your organization. Plus, other day-to-day -day IT operations too. I'm just a sucker for application-related content. And there's also some really great automated workflow possibilities too. So for this and more, check out Management Studio and I'll share a link with this episode. It was reported by SiliconRepublic.com this week that the European Commission is investigating the proposed acquisition of VMware by Broadcom. The commission stated, quote, We are concerned that after the merger, Broadcom could prevent its hardware rivals to interoperate with VMware server virtualization software. This would lead to higher prices, lower quality, and less innovation for customers and consumers, end quote. Now, these were the findings during the initial investigation, but the more in-depth investigation that's now taking place will examine whether Broadcom may hinder the development of smart network interface cards, or smart NICs, and the EU is concerned that Broadcom may decrease VMware's involvement in Project Monterey uh, with smart NIC sellers NVIDIA, Intel, and AMD, which was announced back in 2020 which could then hamper innovation to the detriment of customers. It is also concerned that Broadcom will stop offering VMware's virtualization as a standalone product and instead bundle with Broadcom's own software, restricting choice and impacting competitors. Now I saw some commenting that, well, why didn't the European Commission step in when Dell was acquiring VMware? But honestly, I can understand it given Broadcom's portfolio and personally, I don't think the concerns are completely unwarranted. I'm sure this investigation will include maybe conditions being set, possibly, that will hopefully be good for consumers in the end. TSB has been fined nearly 49 million pounds in the UK for an IT meltdown that occurred in 2018 that caused chaos and left its customers unable to access online accounts for several weeks, according to a report by the BBC. The problems are reported to have occurred during a migration to move 1.3 billion customer records from an old system run by its former parent bank Lloyds to one managed by its Spanish owners, the current Spanish owners, Sabadell. It said many customers were locked out of their accounts and some customers were being given access to confidential records of others. Cases included people trying to complete house purchases and unsure whether they could move in, and the BBC spoke to one couple who sat with a loaded removal van outside their new home waiting for funds to be released. Crazy. The problems continued for many weeks and TSB came under fierce criticism for the IT failings. The problems were not fully resolved for eight months and a significant proportion of its 5.2 million customers were affected by the initial issues. 
In February 2019, TSB said that the disastrous IT upgrade had costed £330 million and about 80,000 customers had switched their accounts away from the bank in 2018. TSB have been fined a total of £48.65 million, uh, made up of £29.75 million penalty from the FCA and a fine of £18.9 million from the Prudential Regulation Authority in the UK. And finally, thanks to the awesome Helga Klein for this last story, as he shared a tweet from Gregors Tworek. I'm sorry if I butchered that name. I'm almost certain I did. Uh, but Gregors discovered that File Explorer always hides the extension.pif, even if it's configured to show all extensions on the operating system. Helga added, this is another reason to use a real file manager like Total Commander. And I've covered Total Commander on a previous episode in the Scripts, Tricks, and Tips. And that could be a tip for this week in the Scripts, Tricks, and Tips. But speaking of which, now this episode, Scripts, Tricks, and Tips. First up, Thomas Nolenheim blogged this week on, on securing privileged user access with Azure AD conditional access and identity governance, which are hot topics at the moment, and I've covered them on the news in several different episodes of the podcast. So if you want to dive in, check out this great blog post. My buddy, the awesome Steve Greenberg tweeted this week on the topic of Twitter and uh, just social media in general, because I've actually covered on multiple episodes of the podcast as my own personal tip to anyone in IT to use Twitter, because I just find it to be a really awesome resource. But unfortunately, with some of the changes that have been going on, um, it's turned into a little bit of a cluster, frankly. Uh, There's a lot of my followers who have left the platform there's other followers who are maybe less active than they used to be and it just seems discussion is kind of falling by the wayside a little bit because it seems like the conversation is completely focused on what's happening with the takeover and the changes to the platform itself rather than on technical discussion Uh, but steve suggested that using linkedin is really awesome and he's noticed that a lot of people have moved their technical conversations from twitter to linkedin Now, I have a kind of love-hate relationship with LinkedIn. I think there's some really great benefits of it, obviously for applying for jobs and stuff like that. Um, But I also don't like being kind of harangued by uh, recruiters for jobs that are not relevant to me. I don't really like the amount of ads that appear within the mobile app in particular and some of the other uh, problems with it. Finally, I'd like to promote my own local club, Galway United who are looking for sponsors for players. Now, I've been sponsoring a player for the last two seasons, and I find it really great. Uh, You're able to just keep tabs and kind of keep track of that player throughout the season. If you're going to matches, you'll see that your company's logo is listed in the match program beside that player. On social media, uh, when something happens occurring that player, the Galway United official social media channels will share a picture of that player with your company logo. Uh, so it's pretty good exposure and it's just kind of fun, relatively cheap social media content for your organization too. So if you're interested in sponsoring a player for Galway United and getting some of these benefits that come with that, including a game-worn jersey at the end of the season, reach out to me and I'd be happy to put you in contact with the club's commercial manager. Well, that's it for this episode. I don't think I'll have another episode before the holidays or before Christmas at least. I probably will before New Year's. Uh, My festive tech calendar session is occurring on Christmas Eve at 10 a.m. GMT time, 
It will be on YouTube Live. If you go to festivetechcalendar.com, you can check that out. It is Christmas Eve, so I don't think many people will check it out live, but I'll be sure to share it in the scripts, tricks, and tips of next week's episode too. That's it for me. Happy holidays, everyone, and I'll catch you next week.